Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. My guest today is Marsha Inhorn, PhD. She's the William Landman Jr. Professor of uh, Anthropology and International Affairs at Yale University. We're going to talk about a topic called Motherhood on Ice, uh, the mating gap, and why women freeze their eggs. So welcome, Marsha. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you. Yeah, tell me a bit about your past and how you got to uh, work on this area of, uh, of science you're working on right now. Yeah, so I'm a medical anthropologist, uh, which means that I study health issues in living populations. And I've been working on reproductive health for a very long time, particularly the problem of infertility and all of the sort of technologies, the reproductive technologies that have been developed over the years to help people who are trying to become pregnant and people facing difficulties. And, you know, over time, this brought me to the topic of egg freezing. The technical name is oocyte cryopreservation through a process of flat freezing of eggs called vitrification. And it's a pretty new technology. It's It was developed, you know, in the aughts and has been available for women since the year 2012 in the United States. So it's a 10-year-old technology. And because I study assisted reproductive technologies, I ended up doing a, a major study uh, supported by the U.S. National Science Foundation to find out why would women freeze their eggs. Okay. So, yeah, what are the most common reasons that women give? Yeah, so the big assumption out there, especially at the time I was starting this project, is that women would freeze their eggs to sort of plan their lives, to plan their educational and career paths. And so it was always sort of framed in terms of career planning, career planning. And in fact, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, which is the major professional association for IVF clinicians in this country, uh, decided in 2018 to call this planned oocyte cryopreservation, you know, as if women are being very intentional about freezing their eggs. And so honestly, when I wrote the grant proposal back in 2013, I my major hypothesis or assumption was that women were going to freeze their eggs because they wanted to plan out their education and career paths. And then I started actually doing the interviews. Over time, I interviewed 150 women who had actually already undertaken at least one cycle of egg freezing. And what I discovered was a completely different story that really hadn't been reported and still really isn't very well known. But rather, women were freezing their their eggs at the average age of 36.6 years, so almost 37 years of age, already well-established in their careers. I mean, women who were actually highly educated with very interesting careers. So it wasn't the career or the planning for a career, which was the reason why they were freezing their eggs. It's because all along, you know, in their educational and career paths, they had been looking for a reproductive partner. They'd been looking for somebody, you know, to be with a, a partner, a man. <laughs> These were almost all heterosexual women who wanted to, to basically mate, find somebody, you know, marry and have kids with. I mean, all women, I said, these are women who freeze their eggs. They want the three Ps. They want partnership, 
pregnancy with their own eggs and parenthood, um, women who really want to be moms. But the, the problem is they couldn't find a partner. And it was just an abiding theme. You know, 82% of the women in my study froze their eggs when they were single. They did not have a partner. I guess age 34 is the age at which the medical industry says like you're starting to get quote unquote too old or you know the pregnancy could be higher risk. Yeah, advanced um, maternal age. Okay. So what happens if a woman freezes her eggs at like 35 and um, she has a, a child with reproductive therapy at 45? You know, the younger egg in her body, how much better off will the baby be? Um, how much easier does it make the pregnancy or does it not have too much of a difference? No, that's exactly the reason why one would freeze their eggs. You know, women who are concerned about what's called age-related fertility decline, you know, and the quality and the quantity of the eggs do decline. And that decline starts at about age 32. And you're right, around age 35, that's called advanced maternal age. And, you know, by age 37, most women don't realize this, but there's a really sharp decline in most women's fertility, which is called the fertility cliff. And so you've got this sort of period where, you know, if you are not partnered, you always thought you wanted to be a mom, you have the economic means to freeze your eggs. Um, women are freezing, you know, in that period. And so if you do freeze your eggs at, say, age 35, those are your 35-year-old eggs. You're freezing them at the age you are at that time. And then let's say you didn't come back at age 45, 42, 45. To use those eggs, you are using, you know, much younger and presumably healthier eggs. And so, you know, ideally, if women are doing this, they should really be thinking about it in their early 30s. And unfortunately, a lot of women don't get to egg freezing until, you know, sometimes it's a bit too late and they have, you know, problems, something called premature ovarian aging. And so, you know, it's a technology that I think is really useful for people who have always wanted to be pregnant. They don't want to have to use donor egg, but they find themselves in this situation of not having a partner to do it with. And, you know, what are they going to do? It's a sort of stopgap measure for partnership problems, this thing that I ended up calling the mating gap. So on average, how much time will it buy a woman? Um, you know, if you get to be, let's say, 50 and you want to use your younger eggs while the rest of you is still 50, is there a point at where it, it just, it's too much of a difference? You know, your actual age the rest of your physiology versus the eggs to still have a healthy pregnancy and baby. Yeah, you know, it, it, there's sort of sort of the pearl of wisdom is that it's really egg age, not womb age, which is really crucial for, you know, conception and viability of a pregnancy. I mean, now women who are postmenopausal, they can be sort of hormonally rejuvenated, if you will, and can carry a pregnancy in their own uterus. But but your eggs, by the time you're age 50, your eggs are not, you know, viable anymore. And, you know, women really don't realize this, unfortunately, that, you know, by your early 40s, your chances of of having a viable pregnancy, it's really diminished. I mean, the 30s are sort of when, you know, people should be doing this if they're going to be doing egg freezing. And so, yes, you could theoretically, if you'd frozen your eggs at age 35 and, you know, you got around to using them at age 50, you with assistance, you could carry a pregnancy. But I guess the question for a lot of women is, you know, how old is too old to be a mom? Like, what should be the cutoff? And actually, what I discovered in my study is that most IVF clinics in the United States, um, will keep those eggs frozen until a woman reaches her early 50s, sort of the age of menopause. But at that point, if you have not used your eggs, then they require you to make a decision, you know, either to discard of those eggs, to donate them to somebody else, you know, to designate a donor or to give them anonymously as donor eggs or to donate to science, which is a popular option. A lot of women think, well, if I haven't donated my eggs, maybe I should 
donate them to research. So, you know, this isn't a technology that's really going to help women really extend the reproductive lifespan, you know, into the 50s, 60s, 70s. I think that, you know, most women who who utilize this technology are thinking about, wow, you know, is it going to give me five more years? Hopefully I'm going to find that reproductive partner. Hopefully I'm going to find a nice eye, mate, and use my eggs with him. <laughs> I figured it would be like a 10 year, you know, gives you a 10 year extension on average. It's just my guess. Yeah, we don't really know. I mean, it's a newish technology. It's a decade old. And so far around the world, it's being used globally increasingly around the world. And so far, most women haven't come back for their eggs. The question is, is it because they didn't find the partner? Some studies show that it's because women are still single and they don't really see it, you know, being viable to sort of become a single mother on their own. But, you know, it just could be that women are still searching, you know, for that partner and or thinking about, you know, is it viable for me to to have a, a child on my own? What we call single motherhood by choice. I say it's really more single motherhood by circumstance because mostly women, you know, want to be partnered and that is the problem that they're facing. How invasive is the egg harvest thing? Like what's the procedure? And then, you know, when you want to have a, a pregnancy, essentially, I guess, allopathic donor egg, you know, donor egg for yourself. So what are the two sides of it look like in terms of the medical procedures that you got to undergo? Yeah, so it's a bit of a, a daunting procedure. I actually, in my book, I said, you know, it takes a certain amount of bravery. Women really need to have some courage to go through it because it is a month-long process. You know, you have to basically inject hormonal medications to get the ovaries to sort of overproduce eggs. And since most women don't have partners, uh, they have to learn how to self-inject those hormones, um, including one called the trigger shot, which is a big, long needle, and it has to be injected into the gluteal muscle in, in the buttock. And it's hard to do on your own, but women somehow manage to do it. So first, there's the sort of injection part and, you know, taking the hormones to get the ovaries going, you know, which is difficult for some women, especially women who've got, you know, needle or fear of needles. And then, you know, there's daily monitoring to sort of watch the production of the follicles and how many eggs are starting to develop in the ovaries. And then eventually there's extraction or a harvesting procedure where the eggs are removed from the ovaries. It's a small surgical procedure. It requires anesthesia. And, you know, women need somebody to accompany them on the day that they do that. So it's a month-long process. On the day of harvesting, if you will, you need somebody to be with you. And, you know, women, there's sort of a goal. You know, women are hoping to get somewhere between 15 to 20 eggs. That's sort of the, the professional wisdom out there. And, you know, sometimes women will get those eggs in one cycle. They'll do it in one try and be done. But a lot of women just don't produce that many eggs um, in one cycle. And so they have to repeat and do another cycle. And I think the problem is that it's an expensive technology. In the United States, we're talking for one cycle of egg freezing, about ten dollars to $15,000, sometimes more if a lot of the hormonal medications are needed. They're very expensive too. And so it's an expensive proposition, um, you know, and to have to do it twice or even three times. We're talking about a lot of money. And I think the real problem here is that it's expensive. And so women who might want to try egg freezing or feel that they need it, some of them are going to be prohibited simply by the financial barriers. It is mostly not covered in health insurance plans. Although, you know, some Fortune 500 companies, some big tech firms do now offer what are called egg freezing fertility benefits. But for most women, they have to pay for it on their own. Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, 
We need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. Hmm. Okay. And then what about uh, when it comes time to use the eggs? Uh, what's the process there to, you know, to induce the pregnancy? Yeah, the first half of egg freezing is kind of like the first half of an IVF cycle, you know, and then they freeze the eggs and they're 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 waiting. When you go back, it's sort of like the second half of the IVF cycle. They have to rewarm. People call it thawing the eggs, but it's really a, a technology of rewarming. And then, you know, the eggs will be fertilized by sperm. Either if you have a new partner, if you did find your partner, it'll be with your partner's sperm. But, you know, some women will use donor sperm for that purpose. I'm hoping that the eggs will rewarm well and can be fertilized well so that they will end up being viable, healthy embryos. And then those embryos are transferred back into the uterus with the hope that a pregnancy is going to occur. So in some senses, it's very similar to the IVF cycle that many people go through. But as I say, I mean, it's just for women doing this, you know, egg freezing is about partnership problems. And so, you know, a lot of it's going to be done by women doing it on their own. So the investigation you're doing is to find out what, why they do it, or once they've done it, you know, what percentage of them will use their own eggs or which ones will be donated? Is that what you're trying to figure out or what's your goal? Yeah, my goal was really to look at motivations. What, what was motivating women to try this expensive new technology? So, you know, that's really the first half of my book called Motherhood on Ice. And then the second half of the book is really about the experience of doing it. You know, it wasn't a follow-up study. I didn't do like a long-term five or 10-year follow-up study to see what happened. But I, in fact, did follow up with, you know, a number of women in my study. So I sort of know what the outcomes were for some women. Some women did go ahead on their own and use their frozen eggs and ended up having babies as single moms. Some women did find partners and ended up, you know, using their frozen eggs with partners and having, you know, what they call frozen egg babies. Some women who did have good numbers of eggs frozen, you know, more than 20 eggs frozen, tried to use their eggs and not a single one ended up being a viable embryo. Very disappointing results. And so, you know, the notion that egg freezing is somehow a fertility insurance policy, which has sometimes been called, really isn't accurate because it really cannot guarantee that you're going to end up having, you know, viable babies from frozen eggs. But, you know, it does give women an increased chance of doing so. And so, I mean, that's really people are investing in the hope that, you know, when they use these frozen eggs, that it will end up being a viable pregnancy. And so I sort of in my book, I show a number of different outcomes that women had, you know, some good and some not so good. Having said that, I, I want to say that women, you know, at the end of the day, I asked people, well, you know, were you, well, how do you feel now that you did it? And do you have any recommendations about it? Most women were very glad that they had done it. I mean, just having put the eggs in the bank, if you will, gave women a lot of psychological relief. They felt a sort of kind of technological optimism. The word that was used over and over and over was, this is an incredibly empowering technology. I felt so empowered by doing it. You know, it prevents regrets. I did everything I could. I sort of took control of the situation that I was in and did what I could to try to preserve my fertility and extend it. So there was a lot of 
positive feeling. In fact, more than 90% of women had something positive to say about the experience. And a lot of women had a lot of positive things to say about the experience. So that was something I think that was really important. But when I had, you know, asked about recommendations, the overwhelming recommendation was, you know, something needs to be done about the cost of this, or it needs to be, you know, part of our health insurance coverage, because it is so expensive, and it's prohibitive. You know, I have a sister who's a teacher who, you know, she would really like to freeze her eggs, but there's no way she simply doesn't have enough money to do it. You know, my friends in my friend circle, you know, they have no chance. They just don't have that kind of money. What does it cost right now if you do the egg harvesting? The freezing eggs, how much is that? And how much is it to do, you know, in a vitro pregnancy? Yes. Yeah, so the first part, the egg re- harvesting and freezing is anywhere from ten to $15,000 on average, or even a bit higher, depending on how much hormonal medication you need to take. So it can be expensive. I mean, it can be $18,000 for a single cycle, you know, and if you don't get enough eggs, you are going to be encouraged to do another cycle. So some women spend $30,000 or even more, you know, trying to get enough eggs frozen. And then to go back and have the eggs rewarmed and fertilized and the embryos transferred on average is another $6,000. So let's say you spent $15,000 for the first part and $6,000 for the second part, you're talking about more than $20,000. But, you know, frankly, assisted reproductive technologies of all kinds, you know, IVF or ICSI is the variation of IVF for men with male infertility. It's all just expensive, you know, and most health insurance plans don't cover much of it. And so, you know, that's the problem. Assisted reproductive technologies are expensive and they're prohibitive and some people are just not going to be able to take advantage of them because they're too expensive. Given that the eggs are released, not created, but released under unusual conditions, you know, high hormones and all that stuff, the resulting pregnancies, if they are successful, are there any physiological problems with the babies produced from them? No, there's been a ton of research since the beginning of IVF in 1978 is when the first test tube baby was born in England. Louise Brown, who's more than 40 years old, and there now it's estimated that there are more than 8 million you know IVF babies that have been born around the world. And for the most part, there's been a lot of research on those children. You know, are they healthy? Are they cognitively healthy? And IVF babies are doing really well around the world. And that would be true for you know frozen egg babies as well, babies that were produced by this technology of egg freezing. And in fact, it's been possible to freeze human embryos and human sperm for a very long time, you know, for decades. It was just very difficult to figure out how to freeze the human egg. It's the largest cell in the human body. It's watery. So when people at first tried to freeze it, it would crystallize and sort of fragment in ways that weren't successful. And so it really took a a new technique of very fast freezing at very low temperature to figure out how to successfully freeze eggs through this new process of vitrification. And so it's really, you know, a remarkable new cryopreservation technology. And so far, you know, the children born from it seem to be perfectly healthy. Only there is, um, for men who've got serious male factor infertility and use a technology, this IVF-related technology called ICSI, it has been shown that, you know, sometimes the fertility problems of the fathers will be reproduced in their male offspring. And so that is something that has, you know, been studied. But in general, in general, the 8 million plus babies around the world born through assisted reproduction are fine and doing well. It's not a technology that creates, you know, medical problems in the offspring. Has there yet been a, a grandbaby produced, uh, you know, where the, the mom did uh, the, the freezing of the eggs and then subsequent, uh, you know, in vitro, and then the child produced, you know, let's say it was a, a girl and uh, 
later on went to do the same thing and have a baby successfully? Like, has there been two generations of this yet? I don't think so. But the first test tube baby, Louise Brown, she has children now. They were not produced through IVF. So I don't know if the first people to use IVF and produce children, I don't know if we have stories of their children using IVF to produce grandchildren. That is a very good question, but I cannot answer it. Well, it's all right. It'd be interesting to see when that happens, you know, because I'm sure it's bound to happen if it hasn't already. It is bound to happen. Okay. Well, very good. What are the study initiatives now that you want to undertake now that you've done the book? Like, what are remaining questions that you want to answer? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my own work really answered a the question, why? Why are women going to freeze their eggs? What What is the motivation? And, you know, it, it's a bit of a haunting story that, you know, women who would really like to find eligible, educated, and equal partners to be, you know, dads to their moms, to they wanted to have families, you know, with partners that it's not really working for a lot of women and it's making them turn to this technology. So that's been answered and it's against the supposition that women are doing this for career planning purposes. So that's a really important finding. And I think, you know, other researchers, it's not going to be me, but I think other researchers are going to need to start doing the follow-up of all these women with their eggs on ice, if you will. You know, are they going to use those eggs? You know, what's going to happen to those eggs? Are most of them going to be used? Are most of them going to be donated and to whom and for what purposes? So the sort of long-term follow-up studies are needed. And I think the other issue too is that this technology is giving women yet another option to think, look at I've frozen my eggs. Maybe I didn't find a partner, but should I have children on my own? Is it going to be a technology that creates, you know, a lot of children for educated single women? That's going to be an interesting story that somebody needs to follow. So I have to say the piece of my study that I would like to write a book about, which isn't really in the book that I wrote called Motherhood on Ice, the original sort of intent for this technology, the first sort of cause for concern about why women needed to freeze their eggs is for what we now call medical egg freezing. Young women, often, you know, in their teens or 20s who are facing dire medical diagnoses, especially cancer, young women with cancer who are facing this diagnosis and then realize or are told that because they're going to be going through chemotherapy and various treatments, that these treatments have the potential to basically make them infertile, to cause sort of premature sterility, which is very upsetting to young women, you know, in their early years, women who always thought that they wanted to have children to learn that the very treatment that they have to go through for their cancer might cause them to be infertile. And so there's a real need for egg freezing in the world of what's now called oncofertility. And I ended up interviewing 36 women, most of whom were facing cancer, who had frozen their eggs. And we don't really hear much about them, but that was actually the original kind of clinical reason for doing egg freezing. And I think, you know, we need to pay attention to their situations. And I think we need to really uh, follow through again with those women. You know, did they end up surviving? Hopefully, did they end up going back to use their frozen eggs? Did they end up having children as cancer survivors. And so that is actually the book that I would like to write next. Okay, very interesting. Well, Marsha, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a, an unusual topic, at least for, uh, for me and probably a lot of other people, but I'm really glad you're studying things like that. I don't think very many people are. So uh, thank you again. And thank you for coming. My pleasure to talk with you today. Thanks so much for inviting me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.